time of day it is that you are listening folks thank you very very much for listening the day today is the 15th of october year of our lord 2020 i am joined uh now technically as of this recording it is the 14th uh which makes it the 15 year anniversary i'm sorry is it the 15 year 14 year anniversary of maglio ordonez's walk-off home run in game four of the 2006 alcs against the oakland athletics uh matthew that was probably one of the best moments of our childhood yeah yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of the most memorable. I will always remember standing a foot from the TV, if that, and just yeah. standing, staring at everything that was going down. Once they make the call, once he makes this, once he swings, jumping up, freaking out. We didn't have, I think we were home alone. So so yeah, our, our parents were out. And the yeah. funniest thing about it was what Matthew did was he wrote on a piece of paper, um, you know, Craig Monroe gets on base. Placido Polanco gets on base. He goes, here's the score. It's the, you know, the bottom of the ninth. And Matthew the writes play. them out a play-by-play of what happened. And he tapes it on the on the door. So when our parents walked in, they'd see it as if they wouldn't have, you know, obviously known. Um, was the most memorable thing, obviously, besides Maglio hitting the home run. I always think of Polanco, like his jump and the way he's flailing oh, yeah. his arms as he's <clears throat> rounding. But then, obviously, I think the thing that most of us remember um, is Todd Jones dumping the champagne on the cop's head? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. Did I say Todd Jones? I'm sorry. I meant Kenny Rogers, not Todd Jones. Kenny Rogers did that, oh, right? I guess I. I guess I don't remember. Maybe because I actually did think it was Todd Kenny Jones, Rogers. I I could also see that. So that yeah, somebody I was did thinking it. about this earlier, and I and I and I had this internal like which one was it? Um, as far as Tiger's discussion goes today, I guess we can kind of we can kind of hammer some of that out now. AJ Hinch. Uh, we mentioned a few weeks ago, looked like he was going to be a, a candidate for the Tigers managerial position. That's kind of unknown right now because I guess the White Sox came out and they're kind of flirting with the idea. I, w- I read one report that said they were in on it, one report that said they were out on him. Um, apparently, they had to call Ozzie Guillen and tell him, uh, no, you're not a candidate. And I was like, that seems kind of mean. Um, I would so I think, like, don't people want that? I don't think White Sox fans want that, but like they do. Don't the pe- White I, Sox fans want it? They, there are a lot of Sox fans here that deal. Want I mean, I'm back, convinced. But the, so Reinsdorf called him personally. Jerry well, Reinsdorf that's what called him personally, him and, means. or maybe not not Jerry, whatever. I, so they Ozzy's out. So we don't know what what the deal is going to be. I know Marcus Thames, uh, I think, had two interviews with the Tigers over Zoom to discuss the possibility of that. Kind of, we'll see. We'll see. I guess Riley Green said that uh, his swing feels as good as it ever has. Matthew, I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I just saw it before we got on. Yeah, so that's kind of exciting, and that's pretty much it for the Tigers this week. Uh, Matthew, Stevie's been busy. That is putting it lightly. Yeah, it's an understatement. Talk to us a little bit about what uh, the Iser plan has been looking like uh, these last few days. So we talked, it should have been the last episode that we talked about who we moved on from. Uh, that includes Abby and that, Jimmy, yes. pretty the biggest names. Um, so with that, Stevie wasted zero time. Day one, I don't want to say replaced Abby because he's not the same player. It's 
kind of an upgrade on a way better deal. Uh, the first big signing that we made, I think it was the first overall, was left wing Bobby Ryan out of Ottawa. I The Red Wings have been not good for a few years now. And the year that the Senators, I believe, made it all the way to the uh, Western Conference Finals, Eric Carlson is kind of my favorite player in the NHL, but I only say that because I was so obsessed with, um, so obsessed with him the one year they went that far. Um, so I was really big on the Senators as they were going through that playoff run. Um, I like the Bobby Ryan, Bobby Ryan signing. He's about the same size as Abby, so he's a big body. Um, way, way, way better on the offensive end. Um, much better at just creating scoring opportunities, actually putting the puck in the net. So I really like that signing. Uh, they brought back Adam Ernie and Taro Hirose on one-year contracts, or they extended them for another year. So I really like that. Bobby Ryan, one year, one mil, if I didn't mention that. So just a really good deal. Next up, we have John Merrill, who, what I really like about a lot of these signings, it sounds like they're all hometown kids. They all grew up being Red Wings fans, or at least uh, supporting the team. So that was really cool for a lot of these guys to come in and say like, yeah, this is where I've always wanted to be. Once I got the call from Stevie, it was, I'm locked in. And we'll get into more about Stevie's impact and all this uh, afterward. But uh, John Merrill, another one-year deal. Goalie Thomas Grice on a two-year deal. So that's nice going to be pairing him with Bernier. We don't have anyone in net. That's just what it is. We're going to be dealing with uh, Grice and Bernie for, I don't know, a few years. Two-year deal from Grice, like I said. Um, another guy that we got in net is Kevin Boyle. Just a one-year contract. Never hurts to have some insurance in net. Kyle Criscuolo was one. Uh, Troy Stetcher, Riley Barber. I'm literally just flying through these as I post them on Twitter. Uh, Nemestikov. Vladdy yeah. Nemestikov. I completely forgot about that until just now. I'm really glad that I brought that up. Two-year contract. Really like this signing. Um, he's probably going to be on our second line. I, I'd be surprised if he wasn't. Um, that's probably my favorite signing, the Bobby Ryan one. He'll probably sit on our second line with him. Uh, yeah, it was just, it was really exciting to get all these guys bringing in. Um, a lot of just, I'll call them a rental for a year, kind of like where the Tigers are at, where we're just getting filler guys to um, give them a buffer contract before they get a big one somewhere else and then give our younger guys time to develop. So it's like, if you're going to lose, lose with some pizzazz. Right, yep. make it a little flashy. Like the Tigers may have ended up with the th third worst record in baseball this year, which we talked about before. Seems kind of weird. Like we knew they were bad, but it was like, wait a minute, two weeks ago they were kind of a little bit in the playoff hunt, and now they're in the bottom of the barrel. But it's like their offense was really fun, especially for the first I don't know ten fifteen games. Yeah. Um. So what I'm hearing from you is that that's what the Red Wings are doing, and a lot of these guys, especially the ones on one year deals, which it sounds like is most of them. Um. All of them, I believe, one year, two years. Being, yeah. Yeah, um, could end up being trade pieces if the time comes. Yeah, I, I think the the thinking is um, these are guys that are going to, they're not going to hurt our young guys and trying to develop them. Uh, I, I don't even know if they're guys that you're trying to bring in at someone like we brought in Stahl. He's going to be very good for um, our young defensemen, just the young guys that we're developing, trying to better them. Um, he was the trade, right? Yep. From uh, him, York? Yep, okay. got him out of a trade, picked up some draft picks as well. I was going to say, he get, we got picks from that yep. too, yeah. Oh, so that was a really good move for us. Um, but it was, I'm sorry, I don't mean to keep interrupting. It was good. a contract thing, right? They didn't want to keep paying him? Yeah, we yeah we took on his contract as well. Um, right, okay. Yeah, so that was a big thing for New York. 
Um, they are making a lot of really big moves too. They have Panarin. They uh, brought in uh, Lafreniere in the draft this year too. So just two big offensive names that they have to make sure they're going to be able to pay going forward. Not that I think Stahl was going to last like 100 years or something, but... Um, That's Barry Trotz, right? That He's still their coach. Uh, no, he's in the Islanders. Yeah. Rangers. I thought that's who we were talking about. Oh, the Rangers. Shoot, yeah. that's right. Okay, yeah. I've been thinking of the Islanders this whole time, but Barry Barry Trotz is with the Islanders. Y- yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. But we're talking about the Rangers. C- correct. Gotcha, okay. Um, yeah, and I, I, like I said, I just really like all these signings. Um, worst case, and this is still a good thing, like you mentioned, just trade them out, come trade deadline. Um, these are guys that are... They weren't going to get a big contract somewhere, or like I said, they just wanted to genuinely play in Detroit, which is always great to hear. With that, we got this message from a lot of the guys too. I'm and I'm gonna. I already know where you're going. I just yeah. want to add this in really quick before you keep going. I think at least, if not more, half of them said what you're about to say. Let's just say all of them, because I like. Sure. It's, I think they all felt this way. Um, it's incredible to hear. They all said that. In, I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, they literally just said, like, yeah, Stevie made me want to play here. That's it. Like, it was always something to to that effect. He's it was so passionate like... about the franchise and the direction yeah. that we're going in and how much faith he has in the Iser plan. He definitely calls it that. Um, yes. It, it was just really cool to hear all these guys, which, again, these aren't big names, but they're recognizable and they're people who can actually make a difference for our team, even in a down year. Yeah. So if he can bring these guys in, when we're in a situation like we are, imagine when we are elite again, knock on wood. Yeah. Um, Which by your best approximation could be as soon as when. I think that this is another guaranteed, like not great year, kind of on purpose. Sure. Uh, next, but I think we're going to have a lot of fun. I think this is going to be a team where even when they lose, you're like, I enjoyed watching that game next year. It'll be, it's hard to say depending on how this year's goes. The year after that, I think, is like a guarantee we will be competitive. Gotcha. Next year so is like a question the... mark. The year after that, I think it just depends on is that our first year being competitive or is our second year being competitive? Does that make sense? The, the draft will tell us something, too. Whoever we end up getting. I don't I'm sure. No, not necessarily. I don't think that the you draft alone think, is. You don't think it'll matter at that point? because you th- you th- So what you think is that we, we have enough guys um, that are at ages where they're going to blossom all at the right time where a draft pick really isn't going to make or break. Like, I don't know who's on the horizon in the NHL. You know, I'm assuming there's no, like, Joe Burrow, like, Zion Williamson type Bryce Harper on the, in the for the NHL. Not that this is your point, but you will probably agree with it. We're a Detroit team, and specifically in a lottery league, they're not going to get the first overall pick. So, sure. like, we're and not going to be so bad again. Like... I think that this is the worst year we're going to see from the Red Wings in a long time. We were historically bad, like outrageously, embarrassingly bad. I don't think we're going to see that again. Um, I, again, don't think we're going to be amazing. I, I'm kind of expecting still like a top five or bottom five worst record. Um, but then, like I said, I think that's part of the Iser plan. I don't necessarily see us being... Um, just actually bad but then again i i don't know what the thinking is with blashill i'm going to tie this into basketball because i was talking to one of my other red wings friends brett brown went through the process 
with the 76ers. Came in. Sure. They're like, hey, we're going to suck. We're tanking. We're trying to build something. Trust the process. They let him go through that. Once he got through it, they're like, let's see what you can do with what we built. They give him a few years to work with an actual uh, competent and talented team. And then once they realize you're not the guy, move on. I think that's where we're at with Blashill. I think that he is going to be the coach through this rebuild or retooling. I know that's what the Pistons are calling it. Um, rebuild. And then once we get around to being competitive, I would tend to think that he's going to get a year or two to prove his worth. If he doesn't, sure. we'll move on. I'm not necessarily opposed to just pulling the plug early and moving on. But I also don't think it makes sense to try and switch over your coach when you are, you're aware and like everybody knows we are rebuilding. We're not trying to compete for a playoff spot. So I would say that Blashill is like the Brett Brown of the NHL right now. Yeah. And I think the common denominator there is that both of them can't coach. Um, It's not even a joke. I'm just, I mean, I'm I'm just just dead serious. It's just true. Um, So you want to talk about a team that is trying to compile some assets you know, maybe they work out. Maybe they don't work out. And if those do, if the aforementioned assets do work out, you trade them. I think of a little team, I was about to say across the street, Matthew, they play in the same arena. They do. The Detroit Pistons. Do they have different locker rooms? I got to ask, I, I gotta ask this real quick. I got. I Actually, it's a good question. I don't know. I got to ask you this real quick because that was a really good transition, but I, I got to go back a little bit. If you Do you think in Little Caesars Arena... You know the main team shop? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Where they they flip the fixtures depending on who's playing. Um, do you think we'll see Iserplan shirts? I I could literally just I mean, make that. That's f- sure. I know. Well, I didn't but even think about that. Like, I'm probably just if, if I'm gonna if I'm do their that. marketing team. You're right. You will. I know you will. And you, I don't know if that's trademarked. I don't know. Um, that's free money. Yeah. No. Right? Like I. I'm kind of mad that you said that because I'm going to be spending like 40 bucks to make this shirt now. But Past yes, no, like you didn't in, already think of it. That's got to be a thing. There's like he's, I know he's lying. Everybody knows that Steve Eiserman is lying. That's he's just lying. what you call he's it. Lying. That's literally what it is. You look in the dictionary. Eiser plan for such a catchphrase. Elite. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, even though I ruined that transition, we're going to talk about the Pistons really quick. I had this idea the other day. Technically. Uh, the Dean of Pistons Twitter, Lazarus Jackson, had it like two minutes before I did because I tweeted it thinking it was original and then it was like, ah, he already said it, but great minds think alike, I guess. DeMarcus Cousins posts this workout video. I didn't watch it, but he posted a workout video. Um, And uh, I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, let me let me tell you something. If DeMarcus Cousins comes to Detroit, and I'm going to ask your initial reaction here, the Woj notification comes through, which, by the way, Matthew, if you didn't see, free agency in the NBA is set to open on December 1st. Um, that so means Woj we're not notifi- getting a season until, like, June then. Sure. I don't care. But, I, I you know, I, well, then there's something for us to, for you and me to talk about, right? Yeah. For us to be excited about. I don't mind. At that point, like, the draft should be happening in, like, two weeks, a week and a half. Um, but it's not. You get the Woj notification December 1st. DeMarcus Cousins signs a one-year, $15 million deal. I'm just throwing out a number. With the Detroit Pistons, your initial reaction. Yes. Please. Great. Please sign DeMarcus Cousins. 
I, I made like a really spur of the moment uh, video on it because I knew that people were going to be all like, Ugh. now, if I tell you that DeMarcus Cousins is coming to Detroit, Matthew, don't think rationally. What's your first reaction? What are some of your, like, what are you thinking about? The playoffs. I, I know you're probably looking for something specific, but if we sign DeMarcus Cousins, I'm thinking like playoffs. Okay, so you're right. Maybe it was a little bit too broad of a... Here's what I do people... know people are concerned about playing time, right? For Okay, thank you. That's that's, that's what, what I thought for. you were going to go for. Well, but... Christian Wood's not going to play. And what I said in the... You're right. Because there's no in-between playing Christian Wood 48 minutes and playing him zero minutes. It's got to be one of those. I'm not asking for DeMarcus Cousins to play 30 to 35 minutes. You can give those to Christian. I don't care. But if you're playing him 15, 20, maybe some nights upwards of 25, I just, what's the problem here? Because if he plays well, Matthew, if he plays well, the trade deadline comes around, and guess what? You've got a really interesting trade piece for the contending teams that were worried about offering him a contract because they didn't know how he was going to return from injury. And now you can finally get assets that you do not currently have. If he doesn't play well, it's a one-year deal. Who cares? So let me finish with this because I see you got something to say. If we're bringing Boogie off the bench and Christian Wood's playing the five, maybe Harry's playing the four, I don't know. Well, Blake would be playing the four. Matthew, what I'm getting at here is otherwise you have Thon Maker coming off the bench. So it comes down to would you rather, if he comes back, which it, he probably will, would you rather have Boogie or Thon Maker? That's what it comes down to. So all these young guys that Pistons fans are, are worried about taking, eating up, Boogie eating up the minutes of, it's just Christian Wood. And I promise you he can still get his. What are we talking about? I still, I do feel kind of bad because I know that you set me up to give you the, young guys need to get minutes. But I'm kind of saying that point because to your point, you're overthinking it. We have exactly what you said. You don't have to play 48 minutes or zero minutes. There is an in-between. The health that we've been dealing with is tough. Top to bottom, for a few years now, the Pistons have... I'd say about, yeah, about two and a half years. The, it's the been Pistons really have challenging. really struggled to stay healthy. Uh, we've moved on from it's a couple of those worse, guys. Which is, yeah, I guess that's also true. Um... But you think of a guy like Christian Wood, who, if I remember correctly, he's just healthy. Like, he has been healthy for us as long as we've had him. Ups and downs is different little, than... A little, little bit of something there at the end. But yeah, for the most, he's fine. Yeah, he's fine. Because I think everybody's going to... 82 games in a season, I think you can expect or hope that a guy's going to play like 75. Not everyone's LeBron, yeah. Right. Trust him to go between the four and five, more or less, every night. You, go, you have a guy like Blake, who I want to see play 48 minutes, 82 games out of the year. But that's just not a thing. I And then and then I want every single game to go to overtime, too. Yes. And then I so I want him playing 53 minutes a game Correct. For, for 82 nights. I agree. Yes. Yeah, Boogie. If we can keep those two, Blake is obviously going to play more minutes than someone like Boogie would for us. But if you can rely on Christian to go back and forth, depending on the health of those two, or just load management because again you probably do want to be tentative yeah. with their health um that's almost 
it's just better for us. I would think that Christian Wood almost needs to step up more if we bring in someone like Christian or if we bring in DeMarcus Cousins in a very weird way. But I know we're bringing in Harry Giles, so that throws a whole well, different okay. thing into the mix. So it, the whole DeMarcus Cousins thing kind of throws a wrench in the whole idea. Nah, we'll just bring them but both I, in. But I want to I add to the point that you just made that I because I wanted to mention this because you're right. The biggest reservation that i have with it and i think the only one well this is i guess i have two this is the first one uh boogie has the achilles injury in his history i think it was it was a knee i don't know acl mcl i don't know what it was but he had something in his knee and then there was something else too so you're telling me if we're rolling out a lineup of derrick rose blake griffin and boogie i don't feel great about that And, and that's where as somebody who has been so the pistons need to stop constructing their roster in a way where their success is so contingent on their team's ability to stay healthy. That's kind of where it's like, it's hypocritical of me. Second reservation that I have is I, I don't know that you're going to bring in Harry Giles and DeMarcus cousins. So if I have to pick one, I'm picking Harry and I'm not thinking twice about it. Right. Another thing that comes with, with DeMarcus cousins is like off the floor. As somebody who, like myself, who whenever certain players have issues with domestic violence, I'm very openly like opposed to that player ever being associated with my team. But then Derek Rose becomes a piston, and it's a little there's like a weird mental battle that I have going on. Like, how how am I supposed to handle this? So that's another thing. Are you talking about his New York stint, Matthew? You don't want to go into this. For Derrick Rose? Re-read about it. Re-read about it. I All promise. Right. It's not great. We'll we'll talk about it That's afterwards. Fine. Don't defend him. Um. So, I don't know. I, I and, I, and then there was another point that I... This is what it was. I was going to write an article about this. It was keeping me up last night. Pistons fans have to come to, uh, come to grips with something. Something that I think is going to hurt really bad. You have to realize who your owner is. And while it certainly could change here in the near future as uh, certain events kind of start to boil up with Tom Gores, as it stands, he's the owner of the Detroit Pistons. And the one thing that has remained consistent about him is he's going to do everything that he can to put a winning product on the floor, even if that's not what we need at the time. So I don't care if you want to top our lineup out head-to-toe and 20-year-olds. That's not how basketball works, and that's not how Tom Gores works. I would love it very much if Sekou was getting, I don't know, 25 minutes a night, and Luke Kennard was getting upwards of 20 shots a game, and Bruce Brown was playing point guard, and Christian Wood was getting 30 minutes. I would love it. That would be amazing. I have no problem with it. But Tom Gores doesn't operate that way, and when he's owning your basketball team, you're going to have this weird blend of a team who's trying to get better with their young guys, and a team who's also kind of trying to fight for something meaningful. I wish we could commit to one of those, mainly the former, because we can't really win anything right now. So I don't know. You need to have a veteran presence. Do you really want one of those veterans being DeMarcus Cousins? Yeah, I don't know. But from a basketball standpoint, sure. I don't know why this is such a big concern for people. What if we're winning? Because I know like you're saying worst case... We trade him, or worst case, it's a one-year deal. If we're winning, and we can fight so, for a playoff spot, I mean, it depends. And I, I was going to write about this too, because this is a great question. 
It depends on what the circumstances of us winning are. Because Which is kind the of what best I assumed. case scenario, right? The best case scenario for Detroit next season is they end up being the Memphis Grizzlies of this year, right? Where they're this kind of random hodgepodge of players led by John Morant, but in this case, I don't know, Killian Hayes, let's just throw him out there, right? And Blake Griffin. And that you just have this really, really fun cast of guys, and they play really well, right? They they exceed all the expectations that people thought that Memphis was going to be a bottom three team. Turned out that they were, well, two wins away from a playoff spot this year, um, and they had the rookie of the year. So if, if it's something along those lines, you know, great. And, and then at that point, roll it, like, keep going with it. Um, but if it's like a 2018, 2019, you're playing well because Blake Griffin's playing well. I don't want that. You got nothing to say to that? I guess I, 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 I thought there was more. What do you mean? I just went on for like three minutes. What do you mean? I, the last point just, I said what I do want and what I do not want. Yeah, I guess I, I don't know. That last point just surprised me about Blake. And if it, well, if he, if if we're if we're playing well because of Blake, but also also you know Seku got better, Svi is better, Bruce is better, Luke is better, our draft pick is better. That's one thing. What I mean is, if it's anything that mirrors the 2018-2019 season, I do not want that. Right. Okay. Which Where is fair, Blake, and then these random outbursts of Langston Galloway hitting 15 threes in a row, and you know Luke Kennard going for 28 points in Philadelphia. You know I don't want that again. No, and that's fair. I want them to play well. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I guess I, I either misunderstood or I just didn't connect the dots or something. Because yeah, I want to see us in the playoffs again, and I want to see a the 2018-19 Blake wasn't healthy. But for all intents and purposes, and given how this past season went, that's a healthy Blake. Yeah. I want to see a healthy Blake. I want to see Blake play MVP caliber basketball, at least for Detroit Pistons standards right now. Um, I, I, we have so much to like about this team, given where we are, I think, that all it takes is for us to be healthy, and it's a completely different yes. situation. Yeah, that's, that's the biggest misconception is that we have a bad basketball team. We have a bad basketball team because we had to buy Jordan McRae for 10 <laughs> games and we're, might as well have thrown Kay Felder out there. Like the guys that we were playing weren't reflective of, you know, where the team could be or roster should be. We had actually constructed. Well, actually, I guess it is reflective because they were hurt. Right. And that's, and that's kind of what us. I was yeah. alluding to earlier. But you know what I'm saying? If this if this team's healthy, they're pretty good, man. Um it's just that it's just such a major if that you can't really buy into it at all. No, and like you said, if you're constructing a team to win now, but you know that win now is contingent on the health, which we know, it's just frustrating. And for they someone like Dwayne Casey, it, like, what more can you expect from him? He's kind of doing the best he can with not a lot. People expect him to give Luke the green light more. They expect him to include Seku um, in actual designed sets, not just sending him off to the corner 
And, you know, if the ball comes to him, either just, you know, keep swinging it or take like a really misguided drive to the to the rim. Um, you know, and, and there are some other things like don't forget that Christian Wood is on the bench and play Thonmaker <laughs> instead, which was like I, I'll never I've tried so hard to find the quote. It's early in the season. No, I remember. And it. they were like, why didn't you play Christian Wood? He's like, who God, he was there. It's like, I, for, I yeah. forgot he was on the bench. I'm not to change gears, but because I'm going to say this until it happens. I'm so worried about the Christian Wood thing. And I know that you, you go on a tangent every single day that I'm we don't need to be worried because everybody else is worried. So annoying. I get everything that you've said is right about his where his perspective should be and what we can offer him and what he can get from coming back to us. But that could just not happen. Like I don't know what like it could just yeah, not happen. Right, but it's it's you're right, but it's not something that I'm worried about. And let me tell you something. This is something I've thought about the last few days. We're going to end on this thing and I got another Pistons thing I want us to talk about. Um, it's a, it's a, you're going into the off season. If, you know, a free agency starts on December 1st, the salary cap is going to be affected in such a way where teams who wouldn't have had a lot of money might have even less money now, you know? So you have to be super meticulous with your spending. You're only going to give guys contracts who, you know, for a fact are really going to make your team better. Two things. One, there's not a lot of guys in this class that can definitively do that, right? And the ones that can aren't leaving. You know, they're just going to re-up. Like Jeremy Grant's a guy who he's going to, like, opt out. But he's like, I just want to restructure. That's all that it is. You know, like Fred Van Vliet, yeah, he's a free agent. He's not, He's. I mean, he's not going anywhere, right? He's probably, right now it seems like he's going to stay with Toronto. You know, whenever Lowry's gone, like, it's Fred's team. So the second thing is, like, I look at Christian Wood as a guy who could help pretty much any contending, like Boston. I think of Boston. If they're able to get off of Ennis Cantor, you know, I think Christian Wood there is really fun for them. Um, you know, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like Christian Wood is one of the few guys who I feel like a lot of teams could look at and say, you're going to make us better. And, you know, obviously Detroit should view him that way. And I don't know. I, that part I get. You have said nothing wrong about the Christian Wood thing. And I, I guess I'll go a step further. Everything that you've said about the Christian Wood situation is correct. He could just go somewhere else. That's my only concern. It's like, yeah, that's all. That's the only thing people ever reply to me. They're like, well, not all those things could not be true. And I'm like, they are. No, that's the thing is like, they but, are true. He could, take them, but... he could take them into account, consider them as what they are, which is factual. And then be like, but I really like San Francisco. I like, <laughs> I don't know. I really like the Houston like, uh, area. This is, I'm overthinking it because I am going to just end on he's coming back to Detroit. He could right. just like not be happy. Like that is a big thing. It's like, yeah, like every, I have everything that I want or like in a situation that I want, but like I just don't want to be here. Sure. That's really hard to. That would give us that impression though. Aside from the fact that we're all frustrating and frustrated, I should say. But yeah, he just needs to hang out with me. 
That'd be nice. I'm like, I'm just tired of this, not of this individual conversation, but of the topic. It's Let's just, just have them it's on. Not a dis- it's just not a discussion. Yeah, we'll just, just get Christian Wood on, which by the way, uh, Zadina's DMs are open, so we'll have to look back into that. So Matthew, I want to talk to you a little bit about something that uh, was an article that I wrote last week, late last week, um, for Piston Powered. Came across a really interesting story that I knew nothing about. I know a lot of people our age knew nothing about. You know, people who lived through the Bad Boys era uh, most certainly did. Um, we did not, though. And and this, I thought, was amazing. Name of the article was uh, The Detroit Pistons' Alleged History with the Mafia and Point Shaving. Now, for those of you who don't know or didn't read the article, this is going to be like a, a too-long-didn't-read version of uh, what happened. So in 1955, and Matthew also doesn't know about this, so he's going to be absorbing this information just as you, the listener, are. Listeners are. 1955, Fort Wayne Pistons are playing in Game 7 of the Finals against the Syracuse Nationals. Pistons go up 41-24 early in the game. It's a blowout. And as the game starts to move along, careless passes... Key players are being held out. Going to the fourth quarter, Syracuse has tied it up 74-74. George King uh, for Syracuse takes the lead uh, in like the, what, the final, I think 12 seconds is what it was. Knocks down a free throw, gives him the lead, steals the ball from the Pistons, which seals the game. After the game, Pistons player George Yardley, and I don't remember the guy who had the ball, was like, yeah, my teammate, the guy who got stripped, he did that on purpose. I know for a fact he did that on purpose because he was tied up in some money. And there was no investigation that was ever launched, but it's just kind of known to this day. Like, the Pistons probably threw the championship that year. Some ties to organized crime is obviously the theory. We're going to move down the timeline a little bit. We're going to move to the bad boys era of basketball. So in 1997... A book is released called Money Players, written by a, a few a few different guys, all whose names I cannot pronounce. Um, and in there, an anonymous Pistons player talks about how his former teammates, Isaiah Thomas and James Buddha Edwards, they got kind of tied up with the wrong people in the wrong times uh, and may or may not have thrown a few basketball games here and there, and there were two specific examples that they were uh, they were given, which we'll get into in just a minute. So essentially, Isaiah, I'm, James Edwards was always involved with this. I guess allegedly, I just want allegedly everything I'm saying is alleged. No one was ever convicted of anything. Well, not Isaiah, and not James at least. But for all intents and purposes, I'm just going to say Isaiah. He would. Uh, he was a regular attendee of these um, sort of gambling uh, backdoor like parlors, right? Kind of a little, not like proper casinos. Sometimes they were at casinos. Sometimes they weren't. Sometimes it would be at Isaiah's house. Sometimes they'd be at Tommy Hearns's house, world famous boxer, our dad's favorite boxer, actually. Um, and there was some guys from the mob in there, and a lot of them would sit courtside at the Silver Dome when Isaiah was playing. Isaiah would lose a lot of money shooting dice with like hundreds of thousands of dollars. uh, He was losing money. FBI gets an anonymous tip. 
that Isaiah Thomas is involved with some shady people. It was the same, I'm sorry, did I say anonymous tip? It was not anonymous. It was the same person who gave the anonymous uh, uh, report in the, in the aforementioned book, Money Players, that released in 1977. Uh, 1997, sorry. It's game five of the 1990 NBA Finals. In Detroit against the Bulls, and a Pistons player at the time, childhood friend of Isaiah Thomas, Mark Aguirre, meets with the feds for lunch. And he tells them Isaiah is losing a lot of money and there's some shady stuff going on with the mob. Again, this is like a way too long didn't read here. And I know this is kind of going on, but believe me, there's a lot to it. So the mafia, sorry, the mafia, FBI looks into this and um, Isaiah gets subpoenaed and he is in front of a grand jury as he had become the subject of a federal gambling investigation just uh, three days after they won the finals in 1990 against Portland. He's in front of a judge, and he's got to defend himself. And he's like, I've never gambled in my life. And then the judge is like, evidence. And then he's like, I've gambled a few times. (laughs) Just, you know, some stuff here and there. Nothing high stakes. The words high stakes were always thrown around. Matthew's entertained by this. He's laughing. And then uh, the judge is like, no, you shoot dice all the time. And his lawyers were like, our client participates in craps games, but nothing that you would consider high stakes, which I should remind you is a relative term. Um, Isaiah went on and he's talking about how pissed he is that he's in front of this and how embarrassed he is for him and his family. It's ridiculous. It's egregious, whatever. Now, here's the thing. Nowadays, who cares if you're gambling? Obviously, in the 80s, whatever, it's a bigger deal. Um, So basically, FBI investigates this because there's some smoke. But there's no fire. They were more interested in the people that Isaiah was associated with in these uh, organized crime families than they were the actual quote-unquote crime that Isaiah was allegedly committing. Every single person that Isaiah was associated with got put away. Isaiah obviously did not. After that that case with the grand jury, he was, it was never really a thing again. Um, I mentioned that there were two instances where Isaiah allegedly... Through games. Here's the first one. I want to add, I think I have a little bit of a theory here. I actually believe him a little bit. December 17th, 1989. Pistons are on a back-to-back. They play in Utah on the 16th, and on the 17th, they play in Golden State. Detroit is favored by three points, and like five minutes before tip-off, Isaiah takes himself out. He's like, I'm not playing today. Now, if that happens in 2020, I don't know, a couple minutes before tip-off is pretty difficult, but you get what I'm saying here where bookies can't adjust for that. The news doesn't travel nearly fast enough. So if that's something that you're in the know on, it's pretty easy money if you take the Warriors there, right? Even at three points, it's pretty easy. Warriors won by 12, okay? The way I think it's easy to defend it, the 16th, the previous night, Pistons are in Utah, Isaiah gets an elbow to the head. He gets on the plane later that night, and he's, he's all discombobulated. He's dizzy. He's in pain. My theory is he took it up to tip off, wanted to see if he could play, decided he couldn't, and he left. He's like, I can't play. I think there's an excuse to be made there for sure. Second one comes, uh, 
Uh, well, let me just see. A few weeks later, December 29th, Detroit is a 10-point favorite against the Milwaukee Bucks, loses by 14. Pistons only scored 13 points in the fourth quarter alone, and it was deemed, as you can imagine, very difficult to find any tape on that game. But I found some articles, some post-game stories on it. It was deemed the worst performance in terms of effort that Isaiah Thomas had ever displayed in his life up to that point. <laughs> now, remember, this is 1989-1990. So we're on the tail end of Isaiah's career. He's only got about three years left before the Achilles injury happens. I think it was three. Um, but the bad boys, this is their last. You know, they got about a year and a half more. Obviously, they, they lost to the Bulls the following year. But this is their last championship year. So they're all getting a little bit, you know, older. They've been, they've been fighting for a long time. So Isaiah had a pretty long career. Finishes the game with two points, two assists on 12%. They were favored by 10, lost by 14. Um, that was it. <laughs> that was it, pretty much. That was it. Hopefully that all made sense. It was a lot, but it made sense, and it wasn't It was a lot. Too Sorry, much. yeah. No, it wasn't like bad. It was, that was just, that was something. Story's a little bit more coherent. If you guys want to check that out on PistonPowered.com, you guys can check that article out. Very enjoyable story. Really cool stuff uh, with that. I was very... And here's the thing. I I would love to ask Isaiah about that. Not in an accusatory way, because I think it's awesome. I don't have a problem with it at all. So Isaiah, if you ever are listening to this, I think what you did was awesome, even if it's it's true, which it's not. Um, But... uh, (laughs) <laughs> it was great. Now, if that stuff happens that I obviously point shaving, that's not great. I don't know if that's so much point shaving as much as it is just blatantly throwing. I guess I guess with the second instance, it's it's definitely point shaving. But, hey, Matthew, you don't really have much to add other than you just found that interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, don't, I haven't done any of the research myself, so I can't uh, defend or... Took a while. Anything, but, yeah, no, I believe it. I actually, I'm, I'm reading articles. Very from excited the, to from... read that through now. I already yeah, really wanted it, to read it. I just, I've been busy. But there's a, there's a lot that I had to leave out. There was another instance. It's 1986. I don't remember what year it was. John Sally is in Boston. He's playing with the Pistons. And they're on the road in Boston. And he's talking about, you know, you can't eat anywhere in Boston because they're all racist. But um, in the 80s, it, like, he was he was being honest. Like, he's like, you know, when you look like me, you can't just go and eat anywhere, especially when they find out you play for the Pistons. D- you know, during that era, mm-hmm. you can't do that. So he goes, we got told about this steakhouse. And I'm like, oh, no. He goes, so we go to the steakhouse. And uh, he goes, it's one of those places where they'll seat you. And they respect you enough. They'll even give you your own private room, in, like, you know, in the, in the side room. He goes, they're going to over-serve you food so you're too stuffed to play for the game. He goes, I think it was the same restaurant. He goes, these, you know, these guys come up. And the way that he described them, it was, you know, mob guys. Is Isaiah playing tonight? I have no idea. How many points are you guys going to score? You know I don't know that. No, you know. I I got nothing to tell you. Enjoy your food. And they would walk away. It was, oh, it was something, you know, they they would just come up and ask him. I'm like, man, I was going to throw that in the story. I didn't because it was kind of, you know, a little nothing. But so cool, man. I can telling that story like that little that bit at the steakhouse is great for I guess like a verbal story. I don't necessarily know how you would articulate that in a, a written story, but no, I very much enjoyed that. So I hope that everybody else did too because that was very cool to hear and very good research. 
I uh, it took felt a like it was in a time, time machine going back through that. Took took a long, long time. Um, yeah, they kept. Oh, and then there was another thing where Isaiah Thomas would just randomly deposit five hundred thousand dollars checks. It was like <laughs> it's my walking around money. <laughs> I guess he owned, and it was never explicitly named. Um, he must have owned like a Kroger or a VG's or something because they said it was like a Southwest Michigan grocery store chain. So I'm like, it's definitely Kroger or VG's, right? Maybe Meyer. I don't know. He owned some grocery store chain, and every once in a while he'd go there and he'd deposit hundred thousand dollars. And they'd be like, so the feds were like, what is this? It amounted to upwards of $500,000. Like Isaiah Thomas, what is this money? And he goes, it's my walking around money. And it's my uh, wife's allowance. Both can be true to be fair. It's it's great. But I'm just like, you and I both know what that money is. So I, that, that part, I didn't put that in the story either because there was just too much information that felt like kind of like a side story, but it felt a little bit relevant um, but, uh, yeah, I, he was also losing hundreds of thousands of hundreds of thousands of dollars on these, uh, on these dice games. So really funny stuff. Yeah. I, like I said, I very much enjoyed that whole story and it, I, I don't know how else to put it. Like I actually felt like I was in a time machine and I could see everything that was happening. I didn't like some of what I got to see, but it's fun. What, what, what didn't you like? Well, like when you were explaining the steakhouse story, like I actually felt threatened. Like, I felt like I was I talking to the mom. How many points are you going to score? I don't know. No, you know. I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> this is not right, the Matthew, same well, thing. I apologize. It reminds me of, this, like, the scene in No Country for Old Men with Anton oh and the, the old man. Yeah. That's, like... What, a, what an American accent he does in that movie. More Americanized, Americanized than how Harvey, Javier Bardem actually speaks. Have you ever noticed that? I just realized that. In that scene specifically or that whole movie? In that movie, his accent is so thick in real life, but in the movie, he just sounds kind of more American. I, I just never caught on Talented that. actor. He's amazing. Him and Penelope Cruz both have Oscars. They keep them, they're like basically lamps by their bed. Anyways, this isn't milk movies. I'm not kidding. That's actually what they do. Yeah. Um, Matthew, Lions coming up against the Jaguars. We're not going to go into it. Give me a score prediction. Uh, I think, well, let's just go with the same score that we got our first win against the Cardinals. I'll go 26-23, Lions. 26, 23 already, ladies and gentlemen. Really quick. I, I have some like fun facts. Uh, okay. So you might have seen this already because I know that you get the same notifications that you do. Our Twitter timelines aren't that different. Pretty much a one-to-one. How many touchdown passes do you think that Matthew Stafford has thrown? He's 2-0 and against the Jaguars. How many touchdown passes do you think he's had in those two matchups against the Jaguars in his career? Two and oh. I'd say about about nine. Uh, take away nine. There's no way. Never thrown a touchdown. The only franchise in the NFL he has not thrown a touchdown pass against. But he's two I and zero oh against. That, tweet. that was Logan uh, Lambertoria, right? There are several people that have tweeted that out. Yes. Gotcha. But yeah, he, I definitely saw that. Yeah. So again, two and zero. Oh. If a quarterback is two and zero oh against a team, you'd have to think that. At 2-0 is not amazing, but undefeated against a team. Throw at least one. Hasn't thrown a touchdown pass. So, I'm in this weird back and forth. Like, do I want him to throw a touchdown pass on Sunday? I don't know. We'll see. I'd prefer if he did. Prefer if he did. Here's the, the quote that he had about it. Yeah, that needs to happen for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I need to make that happen. That would be great. 
I'd love to have that on the tombstone one day or something. That's his exact quote, apparently. What an idiot. What an idiot, <laughs> so, man. So he wants to throw a touchdown. That way, like I said, he would have a touchdown against all. Well, he'd have a touchdown against everybody except for the Lions. Except, um, well, until he's traded to the to the Cowboys, for sure. Which I don't want to get into all this. We're not trading anybody by the deadline. The more I've thought about it, we're not making a single trade by then. No. The Cowboys aren't going to use... No, not Matthew even just Stafford the Cowboys, for, but just like... I'm just saying hypothetically because people are really sold on that. They're not going to use Matthew Stafford for three months until the Cowboys are done, and then by next season, Dak will be back. I mean, even outside of that, it's like I, the more I've thought about it, the Lions are not making a trade. Unless we're like amazing by that time and we need to acquire a bunch of talent, uh, Galladay's not going to go anywhere. He's either going to re-sign or we're just going to let him walk and it's going to suck. Uh, Marvin Jones, I can't imagine, is in too different of a situation. Uh, Matthew Stafford, we're not going to trade because unless we get rid of uh, Quinn and Patricia before the deadline, like they, they're not just going to mail in the season because they're not preparing for the future. They have to win right now. So yeah. we are either going to be really good by the end of the season or we're going to suck and it's only going to get worse uh, at the end of the season going into next season. So it's it's just that we're in a we're in a great spot and I definitely don't hate it. That's all I got. Yeah, don't fire Bob Quinn, but fire Matt Patricia. Alrighty, Matthew, you got anything else? Nope. Twenty six twenty three Lions on Sunday. Twenty six twenty three Lions on Sunday is Matthew's official prediction. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, be sure to subscribe and rate five stars. We will catch you guys in the next one. Shoot. Sure.